Hey everyone, and welcome to the Combat Sports Clinic podcast. This is the place to come if you're looking for conversation around all aspects of combat sports and martial arts, be that competition, training, clinical, coaching, rehab, you name it, we aim to cover it. Okay, in this month's episode, Rosie is talking to David James, who is a podiatrist and is known online as the foot and leg magician. Now, we did have some microphone issues with Rosie when we recorded this episode, plus it was the first podcast we've done with a remote guest, so the sound quality is not quite so great this time around. Uh, But the content really makes up for it, so stick with us, and I promise we'll have a cleaner feed for you next time. Okay, so Rosie and David get straight into the conversation from the top, so enough with the introductions. Enjoy. Hi, Dave. Thanks for for joining me uh, on the Combat Sports Clinic podcast. Hi, you're very welcome. So for for our listeners, um, Dave is a podiatrist. Yeah. You you do feet, basically. I do feet, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So... I know that a lot of people who I see, their experience of podiatrists is they go in, they might have some foot pain or possibly even some knee pain or some back pain. And somebody's told them they should see a podiatrist and they go in, there's some testing and things. And then they come out with this set of plastic things that go in their shoes and uh, and then they forget all about it. Um, so to people who if that's their only experience of a podiatrist um, how representative is that would you say and uh, quite an interesting question actually because I'd love to turn around and say that say that that's just not true Um, (laughs) I really would and and you know from my professional pride I want to bang my fists on the table here and say no no we don't do things like that yeah but actually, when I when I get onto the forums, um, especially a lot of running forums, mm. that is the feedback which we get, and and, it's, and it, it saddens me. It saddens me a huge amount. And um, yeah, the feedback quite often is, "Oh, I went to see a podiatrist. They sold me a very expensive pair of plastic inserts, you know, orthoses. Yep. Yes, um, gave me some stretching exercises and said, right off out the door. And yes, there are podiatrists out there who do that." Um, there are podiatrists out there who who make a very good living from doing that, which is maybe why they continue to do that. Uh, and I think a lot of us, and this is this is human beings in general, we always look for a simple solution, and quite often the simplest solution is to say, "Here's a pair of plastic orthoses, off you go." Yes, but I think it's changing. It's certainly you know it's certainly very different. And I, a lot of the people who I who I hang around with, a lot of my my peers, think very very differently, and we, we don't just look at you know, a, a patient or a person when they're coming through the door as being a pair of feet, they are a, a pair of feet attached to a pair of legs, which is attached to a pelvis, which is attached to a body, which is attached to a, you know, a person with, with thoughts, feelings, concerns, worries, expectations, and everything which goes with it. And one of the most liberating things for me as a podiatrist was thinking or, or, or working out that actually I don't have to treat problems just with a piece of shaped plastic. There are many other ways to do it, but it, you know, answer your original question. I think, I think, yeah, there are a lot of podiatrists out there doing that, and that that concerns me. Um, one of my roles, aside from being a podiatrist, is I'm an educator, so I actually teach undergraduate podiatrists, and I, I spend a lot of time talking to them about the fact that you know, if 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 all you have is a is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, and actually, yes, you need to be absolutely. thinking out of the box a little bit. 
because it's about pushing it's about pushing what what podiatry can do and we can do some amazing stuff with our knowledge but yeah it's quite a sad thing to think isn't it <laughs> that we may be viewed from the outside as being plastic shaped pieces of pieces of orthosis sales yes people. i think it's uh, it's it's really unfortunate because i'll often speak to somebody who's who's been to a podiatrist in the past and said oh no i tried that it didn't work and then they yeah. thereafter they'll dismiss it and go oh no i did that um and I think it's the same thing that we have in in our profession as well. It's like if somebody's been to a bad osteopath or a bad physiotherapist, a lot of the time they'll that's how they'll view the whole profession going forward. So I'll say, no, I've tried that already. It's it's no good. And it's I think look at it. The, the, actually, there's there's quite a broad range of different approaches even within podiatry, and I think that's that's an important thing for people to understand. Um, and especially because a lot of the people I work with, for their main sport, they're they're barefoot a lot of the time. So for a lot of my combat sports athletes, the the judo guys, yeah. the Brazilian jiu jitsu guys, a lot of the kickboxers, mixed martial arts fighters, um, they're training and they're competing barefoot. So being given a set of orthotics to go in their shoes, it, it's going to do very little for them a lot of the time, and they're going to look at other approaches so for, for somebody in that sort of situation what else have you got that you could offer them um what what other approaches are there i think it's 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 worth saying that you know we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. and in the case of of orthoses they will still have a role yes during absolutely, other activities. absolutely so no, yeah i mean yeah. i mean there's there's no there's no and, and you know it's, it's interesting yeah. actually when 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 we assess our patients and you'll say what's the primary sport you're doing yeah. when do you get the pain if they say well actually i get my pain when i'm you know when i'm yeah. doing jujitsu or, or, or judo well we, we know that we can't give them anything competitive to yeah. do at that point but it may be that their day-to-day job is something where they're on their feet a lot it may be that they they yes. have a sedentary job and actually uh, an orthosis can help yes. at that point yeah. but a lot of the stuff which we tend to look at, certainly in terms of strength and, and fitness, is around modi- either modifying activity. So it's working out which of, of a movement or what activity causes the problem, but also going back a step, getting a really good history so that we can find out at what point did something change. And it's identifying you know what changed to make a difference what what you know what took them outside of their normal their normal level of load what you know their their normal capacity because we you know we've we've all got stories of going to the gym and working too hard and, and hurting a muscle mm-hmm. um you know i can think about times where i've been to the gym and i've worked a bicep too hard and it's about understanding the mechanism which yeah. led to that now one of the things which we're moving a lot towards a lot more now in podiatry is the rehabilitation side and we look at if we look at the foot as a structure you know depending on depending on whether you believe in sesamoids or not it's either 26 <laughs> bones or, or 28 bones there are numerous ligaments and tendons um there are numerous muscles either within the foot or, or outside the foot which affect those and while we might not be able to isolate those mm-hmm. individually certainly in terms of mm-hmm. collective movements we can do quite a lot yes um and also from from the perspective of the amount of load which goes through. So if we're looking at walking alone, walking alone, it's mm-hmm. three times. Some of the joints in the foot take three times body mass, and then when we run, they take seven times body mass. So when we give people these little exercises yes. to <laughs> to grip pieces of paper mm. or tissue with their toes, yep. that that's that's fine in terms of. And I've got I, yes. I think it's brilliant in terms of function. So try this mm-hmm. to get the technique right. 
But how do we then start to move to a level where we can add some strength Absolutely. to those muscles? So it's, it's a lot of it now for us, I think, is more about rehabilitation. It's about taking people through a process which isn't just, here's a quick fix. It's, it's actually, we need to understand the load. We need to understand why it's damaged. And we need to, to A, go through that period of, of relative rest, go through that period mm-hmm. of, of increased loading, and then yeah. I'm nodding frantically here because, um, I mean, this is fitting all my biases. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I've, I've been a, a really big fan of, of rehabilitation and, you know, the idea of progressive loading, as, as you're describing. Oh, yeah. um, <clears throat> So this is something that uh, that I find really I, I'm really comfortable with in terms of concept, um, and I think it's something that people I speak to often seem to forget that there are a lot of muscles in the foot itself. So we talk a lot about leg muscles and oh, you've got your uh, your gastrocnemius and your soleus and you know tibialis anterior maybe even. Um, to throw some throw some names out there but I think a lot of people forget that there's a lot of muscles within the foot itself as well um and then and these all interact in I mean it's it's quite a complicated feat of engineering isn't it no oh. pun intended yeah um, <clears throat> so. you have to step up to that one didn't you yes if, 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 you, if, you, if you want if you want to do foot and leg puns we could be puns. here all day oh, yeah. so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it's a complex structure it, it is massively complex and I think it's the, the the phrase which a lot of us will use on our marketing or our you know our, our Instagram mm-hmm. posts at some point is the mm-hmm. um, Leonardo da Vinci quote, which is you know the foot is a masterpiece of engineering, and it is. Yes, it is, and there's there's so much there to 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 work well, and there's so much there to go wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I think sometimes we we get a little bit get a little bit cocky with what we can do with feet and you know mm. as 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 human beings in terms of our activities but also probably as podiatrists in what we can actually do with them and you know I said mm. before about identifying individual muscles and being able to control individual muscles yes it's it's looking at how they collectively move together yeah, and what's yeah. their collective movement and function and that seems you know that approach seems to work quite well yes and oh, this is something that I, it's an approach I like when I'm talking about other body parts as well. I mean, there's, I've been doing, doing a lot of work with necks recently, and I'll say the same thing. It's there are lots of different individual muscles, and we need to we need to be aware of those. But actually, we need to look at movement patterns. So we need to look at how yeah. they work together, not trying to isolate one individual muscle, um, because whatever it says on our EMG studies, um, actually for for that particular athlete, they're thinking about what they're doing not uh, not how they're activating that you know it, it obscure individual muscle um yeah absolutely I, I i sorry i saw something um recently which was looking at 3d kinematic analysis um body analysis so you know actually putting little sensors on people to see what the movement is during their their sport and it was with tennis players and they were getting tennis players to express verbally mm-hmm. what they were doing as part of a serve and they were talking about, I mean, this is, this is where my anatomy of the arm comes in. They were talking about, you know, the, the pronation, supination of the radius and ulna. So that mm-hmm. kind of twisting motion as they came through. And this is what I'm doing. And when they analysed the footage, they found that they were doing something completely, completely different. different. <laughs> yes. Um, so it's, yeah. it's what the brain's telling you, yeah. what you know, what cues you're using actually has a completely different outcome in terms of a movement pattern. I thought that was really interesting. That's fascinating, yes. And, I mean, it makes perfect sense, actually, because, again, I think, I mean, even when I watch people coaching sometimes in in combat sports they'll be describing a movement and 
the way they're describing it is actually effective for getting people to replicate it, but it might not be technically accurate. So yeah. again, it's, I mean, you've got to look at the function, you know, if, if you're describing it in that way and people are understanding what you're doing and they're able to go away and do it, then that's, they, they fulfilled that function. You know, they've, they've done what they've set out to do. Um, but that isn't the same necessarily as having a, an anatomically accurate description. Um, and again, the Absolutely. question is, like, do we need that? And for, for lots of purposes, the answer is probably not. Um, I think I think we you know we 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 teach our undergraduates you know static anatomy that 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 kind of you know very simple palms facing forward standing there not moving and then we have to get onto the functional yes. anatomy and I think that's where it, that's where a lot of people start to start to fall yep. over is with their functional mm-hmm. anatomy because and one of the one of the old fashioned tenets mm-hmm. in podiatry was a thing called routine theory. And routine theory is basically saying that, you know, you, you drew lines on people and if the lines didn't line up, you measured how much they didn't line up by and then you gave them an orthosis with that exact amount mm, of correction. Yes. But what it didn't allow for the fact, it was trying to pe- put people in a static position, but one of the things it forgot was that, that people don't often do things <laughs> statically. They're constantly yes. in this state yep. of flux and movement. And whereas, you know, tibialis anterior might be more active in, the heel strike part of gait, when you know when the heel hits the ground to control that movement of the foot going yep. flat, mm-hmm. it's less active when you go into a propulsive yep. stage. And so, if you know that tibialis anterior is a problem because you've identified it anatomically, mm-hmm. you pretty much know at what stage of gait is going to be a problem and what you can do to to help with that. Um, if you look at it purely from oh, well, tibialis anterior starts here on the shin, inserts on the middle aspect of the mm-hmm. foot, statically, you, you you're not going to get the full idea of what it's doing and how to manage yes. that load. So it's, it's looking at people as, as in the way that they move rather than just balancing them up and making them completely symmetrical. I think that's that's something that yeah, um, I think we've been moving away from as well as a, um, you know, looking at looking at the rest of the body. Uh, I think um, the the modern approach to to rehabilitation, to physiotherapy, osteopathy. Um, I think we like to focus much more on movement rather than balancing people and getting them completely symmetrical. And I think this is something that sometimes patients are still surprised by when they come in and see me and they say, oh yeah, my last physio, they, they told me that uh, my pelvis is twisted and I've got a scoliosis and I've got a leg length difference and I've got this and that and the other. Uh, and they're half expecting me to to do some things that is going to make them symmetrical and, and, and perfect. And when I'm... I don't necessarily focus on that, first of all. And sometimes that surprises people, I think, because they're still, they've still got that idea that this is what it's all about. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. Mm. I mean, I, this reminded me of, a, of an experience when I was 16 years old. I mean, my, my, my history is I, I have mm. spina bifida, so I, I've had most of my life with, with all of these things, like a leg length difference and a twisted pelvis. I, I see a chiropractor and have done for many years, and... and what they've always done is they've, they've always given me relief and helped me to move, which which has been the real benefit. But, mm-hmm. I, but I remember being 16 years old, and I remember my dad, when we were on holiday mm-hmm. in France, his back went, mm-hmm. whatever the term went really means, and he ended mm-hmm. up with a huge amount of spasm yes. and, and pain. Now, if it had been yeah. in the UK, mm-hmm. we're, we're talking about 1989, so, so probably mm-hmm. earlier than most of the listeners were born. And mm-hmm. he, if he'd been in the UK, mm-hmm. it would have been go rest it. 
go off and rest it. And we were in, we were in the South of France, and what they did in the South of France is they said, no, we're actually going to give you a painkiller because we want you to move. And they got him moving, and every day mm. we got him up, he moved, he moved around, and he got better really very, very quickly because of that, because of the movement potential. And I think there's still, you know, my dad's in his yes. 70s now, and I think there's still a generational yep. feeling, certainly in my experience, yes. that, oh, if you hurt yourself, I've got to rest. You know, that, that's it. Yes, You're broken, absolutely. and then that's it. You'll never get up again. Whereas, whereas actually the, yep. the best thing is that, yeah, progressive. Okay, yes. rest to a certain degree. If, if you've broken your leg, you do want to rest. If you've broken a bone in the foot, you, you need to splint oh, yes. it in some way initially. But actually after that, mm. you need to start getting mm. that movement back in as soon as possible. I'm always complaining that rest is over-prescribed. Um, yeah. And I think that's uh, that is, that's still the case, I think, in for, for a lot of musculoskeletal things. I mean, I'll often see somebody who comes in with a shoulder injury and they've been told to oh just rest it you know take three months off your sport and they'll come in and when I see them they're actually worse than when they stopped doing the sport because yep. they've been sat on the sofa not doing anything with it and again it's getting this idea across to people that rest sometimes it's appropriate to some degree but we don't always want to stop doing everything um in fact we it's quite quite rare that we want to stop doing everything um so i think getting that idea across to people is uh, it is important i think i think i think there's there's an element of certainly in healthcare anyway there's an element that if we if we tell people to, to do exercise which mm-hmm. potentially will cause them pain that that we might get a letter on our desk from a solicitor mm. um trying to sue us i think i think there's an element of fear probably in some of the practitioners um, I think there's maybe an yes. element of, I'll use the term laziness, which which might get me shot down at some point by someone somewhere. But I think there's an element as well that it's easy to say to a patient, rest, yep. and then we'll do something later instead of actually spending the time to explore yeah. not what they can't do, but actually what they, they can yes. do. And, you know, if, if somebody comes to me and says, well, actually, when I when I run, I get pain in my foot. Well, that's okay. So... What, what do we need to do to get rid of that pain in the foot? It might be that we need to change your running and it might be we need to add something else into it. Mm-hmm. We might need to add cycling. We might need to add strength training. We might need to add mm-hmm. extra rest days in, or we might just need to say to you that instead of running, you know, six kilometers, five times a week, you actually run six kilometers, three times a week mm-hmm. and, and have a bit of space between them to recover. So it's, it's looking at what people can do and it's yeah. encouraging that. And, and you'll know from, I mean, the, the people you've worked with, you'll know that the, the mindset element yes. and and the psychology and, and the managing that element of it is, while it's completely different in some ways than the approach, it, it's it's integral to whatever, you know, to your results and what you do. Absolutely. No, that's, uh, that's very true. So moving on to the kind of, kinds of things that you see, um, do you see any combat sports athletes yourself or have you over the years? Yeah. Um, you. Not professionals, <laughs> mostly, <laughs> well, mo- mostly the, amateurs, um, um, so well, yeah, certainly. So where I, where I, where I sort of grew up in, in, in the black country, we, there's quite a few, you know, martial arts schools mm-hmm. down there. Um, yes. and you go through, you, you, you get people turning up, you know, with, with their children who are you know, maybe doing karate or, or doing Kung Fu or, or something mm-hmm. along, along those lines. Um, most of the things which I've tended to see mm. have been, I suppose I'd, I'd term simple podiatry complaints. Mm-hmm. It's the usual things like blisters right. or it's or it's skin damage or it's ingrowing toenails or bruised nails. You, we get a lot right. of that. We get a huge amount of mm-hmm. that. And I think 
that sometimes in podiatry we we have a tendency to to push that under the carpet because mm-hmm. it, it's not sexy and it's not important. But one of the one of the things which I have spent time doing mm-hmm. with with a lot of the kids who've had martial you know do martial mm-hmm. arts um, is I've actually got an educator them on how to care for their feet in a very very simple mm-hmm. way. And there's and there's a good reason for it. And there's a there's an American coach. I don't know whether he's alive anymore. He used to coach back in the sixties and seventies basketball teams. His name was was John Wooden. Oh right, yes. And mm-hmm. he would get. Yep. You heard of him, yeah. He he would get these these new recruits onto his basketball team, and and they would be expecting because he, he used to he used to win every year. He used to mm-hmm. get teams to to finals and that kind of thing, and win mm-hmm. the finals. And people who come and join his team expecting to be told this amazing wisdom about how to play mm-hmm. basketball, and the first thing he would do is teach them how to tie their shoes <laughs> properly. And they they'd look at him and go, "Why?" And he said, "Well, if I, if you tie your shoes properly." They don't rub. If they don't rub, you then don't get blisters. If you don't get a blister, it means you're you, you're not on the bench mm-hmm. for three four weeks while while you recover. Yeah, and that's the way I've kind of looked at it with a, with a lot of yes. the foot complaints, particularly in, in you know the combat sports mm-hmm. and the martial arts. Is well, if you've got an ingrown toenail, that's going to cause you pain. That's going to affect mm-hmm. you know if it's on a, a leg you're standing on, it's going to affect the way you stand and your balance. If it's on a leg you're kicking on, you're going to be resistant about how you mm-hmm. kick. Um, if you've got a piece of hard skin, that's going to affect things. If you've got, you know, a blister, that's going to affect things. So if we can teach you how to manage those simple things first yeah. of all, mm-hmm. then that will that will really help. Yeah. In terms of other injuries, um, it's usually I say quite a few bruises, quite a few bruises, especially on on feet. Um, most of the issues I tend to find now are either caused by um, other mm-hmm. sports. Usually it's where someone said, you know, I'm actually going to improve. I want to improve my martial arts. I, I want to lose a bit of weight, get back into the sport. Um, I haven't been, haven't been focusing on it as much as I could do. So I started running and that's where the problem comes in. Yes. Or in my, in my case, I'll see a lot of people go, I, I need to cut weight. I need to lose some weight for a competition. Um, so they obviously, they, they go out and they're, they're running a lot more than they're used to. So this is sometimes Absolutely. where I see things Absolutely. as well. Absolutely, but this, you know, there's the. I haven't seen any any kind of major fractures from from combat sports. Um, it's it, yeah, it's it's mostly been the, the simple stuff or stuff which has been caused by other sports. Yes, um, I tend to see quite a lot of toe injuries actually, and particularly with um, some of the jujitsu guys. Um, it's either they've had an impact to it, or it's been twisted in some direction or other so it might be a fracture a dislocation something like that um is there anything you could say about sort of early management of that sort of injury to avoid problems further down the line don't don't do martial arts does that does that work (laughs) no that won't work that's the wrong podcast for it isn't it yeah sorry um (laughs) no it's it's interesting i was was at a running show recently and we had all these people coming in with running injuries and said what should i do and i said you should buy a bike and that did, that, did, that didn't go down well either. I think, no. I think so, it's interesting. Some of the the things we see later on in, in people's lives are, are sort of certain types of arthritis of the big toe joint, yeah. and you'll you'll get a yeah. fusion of the big toe joint, which reduces movement, yeah. or you'll get something called a functional hallux limitus, which basically means that the big toe joint doesn't bend as much as it should do when you're yeah. putting weight through or standing. Mm-hmm. And quite often, I suspect that, that that quite often this comes from an impact such as a turf toe, so a, a compression from the end of the toe as it pushes it back into the foot. Yeah, and you lose and that, that gentle that glide. Quite a lot, I think. 
Yeah. Yeah. And you, and you, you know, you lose that gentle line. And I suppose if you, if you're going in for some kind of move with the foot and you, you connect in the wrong place, you can do that, that compression. Mm-hmm. So I think early stages for a, for a lot of simple sprains and strains, as long as you haven't got a fracture, um, joint mobilization works very well, or, you know, very, very simple joint movement. And we do quite a lot of that in the feet as well. And it's, and it's great, very, very successful. If you have somebody yeah. who has a, a fracture, yeah. Um, and this takes me back to my A&E days. Before mm-hmm. being a podiatrist, I was an A&E nurse. And it takes me back to my A&E days where you would look at whether it's displaced or dislocated. If it is, it needs to be reset and x-rayed yeah. mm-hmm. um, and then strapped. If it's not displaced and you've got a lot of bruising and you, you make the assumption that it's fractured, um, you tend to strap them together. There's not a lot they'll do for broken toes yes. nowadays because – Unless it's an open fracture, it's not at risk of, of, of any kind of infection or osteomyelitis. So mm-hmm. it's, it's very much palliative type stuff. Um, if we're talking a fracture further back in the foot, then, then yeah, you, you're looking at a mobilization for a period of time. And there's mm-hmm. been some very interesting stuff I've been reading recently on, on how long you actually would immobilize a fracture for. Mm. And while we do it for six weeks now, and we, we assume that, full kind of bone formation to its toughest point is about 18 months. There's some talk about whether you actually would do need to, to actually mobilize the joint for, for six weeks or as to yes. whether we actually do it for less. But again, it comes down to the forces and loads going through the foot and yep. people's activity. So, but I think as well, one of the things we, we do quite a lot of, and I find very, very useful is, is taping and strapping get a yes. lot of a lot of very good results with that and certainly if you have somebody who who has some kind of foot pain and would suit an orthotic in another situation mm-hmm. taping and strapping is is amazing and it can be applied applied by the, the individual good really good stuff and is there is there a simple way to do that is there an easy, or is, is that something that you would definitely need to go and see a specialist to uh oh it depends how, how much do. i'm going to charge if i, if I yeah if, no it's actually ta- taping taping's great um it's it can be some of the taping is if you're not particularly flexible is a bit more difficult to to apply mm-hmm. but on on the whole if we were looking at a, a bit of tape which is going to support the arch or maybe a bit of tape which was going to support around the fat pads of the heel that kind of taping is very, very easy to do. And it's and there's not one set way of doing it. There's, there's many, many different approaches. It might be that you look at the type of tape you use. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the, the Kinesio tape, the, the stuff which yes, that's became gone really very popular, hasn't it? Um, it has, yeah. I mean, it became very famous in, I think it was the 2008 Olympics. You suddenly saw people with all these kind of funky designs on shoulders, yes. which, which yeah. improved their performance. And... That seems to have come through now into podiatry. We still don't know how it works. Yes. We have no idea how it works, but we know that for some people it, it gives them great relief. And I was teaching students yesterday how to do it. But there's some very simple techniques with that. You can go onto YouTube and you can find a lot of techniques. Mm-hmm. And the great thing about K-tape is it, it tends not to irritate the skin too much, yeah. whereas mm-hmm. other tapes such as zinc oxide can do. So, yeah, some very, very simple taping techniques which can make a big difference. Excellent. Um, so with things like toe taping, so uh, this is something that I see quite a lot in um, sort of in the martial arts world is somebody will have a toe injury. They'll tape it to the toe next to it. Yep. And then six months later, that tape will still be there. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, I mean, my experience with things like that is often um, 
because I mean, unlike with fingers, people don't typically use their toes that much in everyday life. So they're happy to just tape it up and leave it. Uh, and then they tend to forget all about it. And I think I find that because of that, a lot of the time they'll lose movement. Is that something that's a concern? Um, that's a really interesting point, actually. I think um, certainly if I was to take a, a bit of tape and I was to prevent the big toe joint from bending up, so it's something we call hallux dorsal yep. deflection. Over mm-hmm. a period of time, because the joint doesn't move, yeah, you, you will get some changes to the bone. And, and you see this with, with a thing called hallux rigidus, which is where the arthritis, mm-hmm. there's an arthritis in the joint, the, the joint surface changes because there's not much movement and it thickens up. And the body's very clever. And it will try and lay down extra bone in order to, yeah, it will lay down extra bone to to make the joint move more, but the bone it it lays down isn't particularly good and you end up with joint fusion. I think one of the other things we tend to see as well is uh, there's a, and I always forget my laws on this one, there's Wolf's Law, which I think is bone, and there's Davis's Law of Soft Tissue. So Mm -hmm. Wolf's Law is basically that that stress going through, a a bone will align its, almost its, its strength, in, in line with where the force is going through it. Um, yes. Whereas Davis's law basically says that, you know, a, a, a soft tissue will shorten to its to its shortest, to its functional length. So easiest example off the top of my head is high heels. If you wear a pair of heels all day, every day, your calf muscles will stiffen up and shorten to some degree, mm-hmm. making it more uncomfortable to go to a flatter shoe. So what we will use tape for is actually to help when we've got, maybe an elongated ligament, plantar plate, second metatarsal head area mm-hmm. comes to mind to shorten that tissue down. But the flip side of that is, yeah, I mean, you're going to get some tightening, you're going to get some stiffness around the soft tissue bone mm-hmm. a lot longer, but certainly in the short term, yeah, you can get some soft tissue stiffness. And then that, the the, the problem as well is we're, we're back to a, a period of, of no movement or, or lack of movement, which means you're not putting enough load through that structure which means that it's more susceptible potentially to, to some kind of rupture, tear, or damage. And that's all theoretical. That's all theoretical. Yes. It's not, it's not serious something we see. And I think it's because even if we tape or strap something up, there is still an element of movement going through it. Right. And we may only have to reduce the movement in an area by, you know, 1% mm-hmm. to make somebody better. That it might only just be that one percent. They they one percent outside of their normal their, their right. normal physiological strength, which has caused the damage. Yes. Um, easiest way to think of it. Do you remember the game Buckaroo? Oh yeah. Where you had where you had this. You have that 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 mule, and you load things on the back of the mule. We, we don't know how much we can put on the back of that mule before it'll kick. Mm-hmm. And in and in a lot of people, we don't know at what point too much load is too much for them. Right. But. Going back, so I've got off tangent now, but going back to what you said about, about splinting and strapping being, being a problem, um, the common one we, we, we get asked about is orthotics. Right. So if, mm-hmm. if I give somebody an orthotic, will it weaken the muscles in the foot? And all the evidence says, no, it won't. Actually, it doesn't weaken it at all. It just temporarily, while it's in place, it temporarily alters the loading. Right. So you- don't be scared of taping. Okay. Okay. Um- <clears throat> I mean, is that something you would, I mean, for example, if you've got not necessarily a fracture or, or a dislocation, but like a joint sprain or something like that, um, yep. is that something you'd make a conscious effort to, 
to mobilize as well um, or to, to make sure you're keeping movement at that joint? Or is that not something that you'd worry about? Depends on the stage. Um, you know, if we're talking about, say, an ankle sprain, yep. so ligaments on the outside of the foot, <laughs> early early rehabilitation for that is going to be the usual, you know, ice, compression, elevation, relative rest, non-weight-bearing movement. So it's going to be, you know, yeah, take the pressure off it, rest it a bit, but still keep it moving to wait for the swelling to go down. Mm-hmm. I would probably use tape in the early stages mm-hmm. because I find that tape works very, very well to almost if they're going to mobilize on it to prevent them from having further issues with with sprains, but right. also helps quite a lot with the swelling. Okay. Then I find it, it seems to work really well. I mean, this, you know, you talk to, to some of the, the, the rock tape people, they'll, they'll say it's one of the key things is that it, it mm-hmm. allegedly lifts up the soft tissue and allows for you know, drainage underneath. How, whether it does or not, I don't know, but it seems to have some really, really good effects. Mm-hmm. With the, the sprain patients, and again, if we're talking about ankle sprains, I would be looking at mobilizing the ankle joints probably later in the game. Right. Just because the mechanism of injury is such that as they've gone over onto the outside edge of their right. foot, quite often there's going to be some twisting around the the ankle joint. So where you've got the inner and outer ankle and you've got the talus, the, the top bone of the foot underneath, sometimes that just you know moves a little bit and there's a bit of strain around the joint. And I find right. that the ankle mobilization works a treat with that. It really does help people to rehabilitate right. very, very well. And I think I think it's because the traditional ankle rehabilitation following a sprain mm-hmm. Is is usually just you know point your toes down, point your toes up, stand on it. Whereas we're looking at it from a joint mobilisation perspective as more of a three dimensional movement. It's it's the fact that the ankle doesn't just move it you know up and down. It moves, it rotates, it it tips on one edge, it tips on the other edge. It's a very dynamic structure. So yeah, joint mobilisation has a really has a really key place in certain conditions. Right but it's rare that we would use it on its yes. own. Okay. So it, it very much depends on the, in the, on the individual case. Oh, absolutely. And I think, I think this is, this is the, the, the key thing that mm-hmm. going back to the very beginning, when you asked about you know, the, the view, almost the view of podiatrists being orthotic salesmen, if, mm-hmm. if everyone walks through the door, actually the orthotic yeah. salesman was my words, not yours. I won't put <laughs> that into your mouth. That's, un, that's unfair. Um, but <laughs> but if, if somebody walks into a podiatry clinic and the first thing they do is say, here, have these orthotics, you're yeah. not viewing the person as an individual. Yeah. And if you if you have somebody walk into your clinic or, or limp into your clinic who's, who has a problem, you want to find out what's going to work for them and what fits in with their, their kind of view of the world and their paradigms. And it, it's treating everyone as an individual. I mean, yes. we, we know that we know that on average, you know, treating a, a foot problem for most people, if it's not broken, it's probably going to be you know three months with rehabilitation. It might be that there's four, maybe five visits to come and see us. A lot of the stuff being done at home, you know, we, we know those things. Right. But as with everything, there'll be somebody who comes in once and sees you and is is better. Yeah. And there'll be somebody who comes in and sees you ten times and 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 is better or maybe not better. So it's yeah, it's treating everyone as individuals. The uh, the, the catchphrase that gets bandied around these days is person centered care, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's things, it, subject-specific response yeah. is, is the other one I think of, that, which, which basically means that, you know, if I, if I walk up to someone and say hello, mm-hmm. I, I'm going to get 7 billion different responses depending on who's, yeah. who, you know, who, who the person is on the planet. So, it's yeah, absolutely. It's a new idea that we should be treating people as individuals rather than... Uh, oh, goodness me, who, who <laughs> thought? I mean, I think that's just terrible, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Um, so... Uh, Something else I see with with um, 
combat sports folks and people who spend a lot of time in, in bare feet on mat um, is that a lot of people come in and they complain that, that they say that they, they've, they've been to see somebody and they've been told that they've got flat feet. Mm. <laughs> um, and the number of people who come in and they say, yes, my, 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 my physio told me that I've got flat feet or I've been given some orthotics for my flat feet. Um, can you say something about that? Is it, I mean, is, is it as common as people think it is or is there a bit more to it than that? I had a great com- I had a great conversation with my second year students yesterday over this, um, and they were they someone said, "Well, oh, I've been told I've got flat feet," and my answer was, "So what? <laughs> what, 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 what exact what exactly does it mean?" And, and they described a foot. So if we if we think about the movements which go on with feet, there's a there's a, a movement called pronation. If if anyone listening is is a runner and has gone to a, a, a running store to try on trainers, mm-hmm. they may well be told that they are a in inverted commas, air quotes, an overpronator. Or they might be told that they are a supernator, or they might be told that they have a neutral foot. And they're very outdated ways of describing the, the foot. They're a very interesting way of describing, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the the look of the foot. So you can look at a foot and go, yeah, that looks a bit flat. Or you can look at it and go, yeah, it looks a bit high arched. Or that's, yeah, that's neither here nor there. Mm-hmm. But we use a measurement called the foot posture index. Mm-hmm. And the foot posture index looks at six different variables for for deciding whether a foot is is in more of a pronated position, <clears throat> i.e. slightly flatter, or whether it's more of a, a high arch position, so mm-hmm. slightly more supinated. Mm-hmm. And when you look at all the normative data, most people sit in a slightly pronated position. So most people, most people are mm-hmm. flat-footed. So when someone comes in and says, I have flat feet, it's like, yeah, so do most of the population. <laughs> it's, it's, it, there's a lot of time we spend educating people around this because – there's a, a very negative connotation associated with flat feet. Right. That, you know, if you if you talk to people who've been in the military, that, that one of the things they'll do is they'll say, oh, no, you never make it in the military, you've got flat feet. Well, it's more about how the foot responds to load and how it responds to force. And we, we have some tests which we will do to see how easy it is to get your foot from being that flatter position to a slightly higher arch position to try and mimic what goes on during gait. We'll okay. also look at... We'll also look at things like heel raises. So, yes. <clears throat> excuse me, we, we'll put a, a raise under someone's heel of roughly 10 millimeters, which equates to probably the normal heel height on a, on a shoe or a trainer. And we will then look at how that changes the force variables on the foot. So how does that affect the foot going from flat to high arch? Mm. And then we'll want to look as well about what is that foot doing during gait? Because if you have a if you have a foot which is... I suppose a bit flatter for a bit longer during gait that will have different implications to a foot which is flat in the middle of gait mm-hmm. it's 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 all looking at it from from you know put it into context and we get get quite a few people i'm chuckling at this because i, I remember having this conversation ages ago that, that somebody came in and said well i've been told i've got flat feet and i need orthotics and i said okay what do you do for a sport and they said i'm a swimmer <laughs> And I'm like, well, does it, do, you know, does it cause you a problem? No, not really. Well, well, then we're just all we're doing is we're, we're treating a variable. We're not treating a, yeah. a set of symptoms or a problem. Yeah. And quite often, mm-hmm. I see a lot of people with flat feet, and mm-hmm. it's not an issue. Yes, and that's a, a, what you'd regard as a normal variation. Um, absolutely, absolutely, mm-hmm. and and you know, it's back to the set. There's seven, there's seven billion different types of people on this planet, mm-hmm. and you have to look at people individually. Yeah, there are. There's, there's, 
you'll get a bit of research which will come out will say that a, a more pronated foot type is might lead to injury in certain cases or a, a supinated foot type will, will might lead to injury in certain cases the way i tend to look at it is and i imagine it's the same with combat sports that the biggest risk factor for an injury of, of the foot in combat sports is doing combat sports <laughs> it, it doesn't matter whether you've got a flat foot whether you've got a high arch foot whether you've got a neutral yes. foot it, it's the fact that you're actually doing the sport which is the problem but it's yeah, again it's it's treating the person it's treating the symptoms I mean, saying that, you you get a bit of a, not a sixth sense, but you the experience of looking at people's feet over, over the number of years I have been is you start to spot certain patterns and you start to spot mm-hmm. anatomical differences yes. and you, you start to spot differences between left foot and yes. right foot. And there's all kinds of things you could look mm-hmm. at. So it, it might be there are there's a difference on one foot in terms of the veins. You might have veins mm-hmm. more distended. You might have more little thread veins on one side, and that side might have a problem where the foot's slightly flatter or there's a bunion mm-hmm. or there's some other things going on, whereas the other foot is fine. So we, you could suspect maybe it affects circulation to some degree. Um, but it, you know, you'll get people with, with yeah. heel pain, mm-hmm. you know, with a plantar fasciitis, and they might have a more pronated foot type. But then you get people with plantar fasciitis with a high arch foot type. Right. So it's not all about foot position. So a lot of the time it's about reassuring people that yes. actually their foot's yeah. probably okay. As I say, I mean, I, I do get a lot of people coming in who go, oh, I've been given orthotics. I've been told that my, my feet are flat. I've been told that I need to do this. And, and, and sometimes it, it, with the people I see, they're not getting any foot problems at all. It's they're, they're, they've been told that they need to do this because that's probably what's causing their back pain or or something else um and some of the time it might be a factor of course but uh, a lot of the time i think it just it, it creates a lot of worry mm. with people and they, they go, go away with this idea as you say you know there's that stigma of oh i've got flat feet it's associated with being not particularly athletic you know not being able to um to do as much and i think that's uh, that that can be a problem i think um I was um, along those sorts of lines. I was I was going to to, to ask you, do you think? Because one of the things that I've heard people say is that my feet were fine, but years of training on mats in bare feet has given me flat feet. Oh, that's an interesting one, so isn't it? Could there be any truth to that? Or is that a complete I think, myth? I think, you, well, you know, I think one of the things we, we do see in, in kind of the elderly population is we see mm-hmm. a, a change in the length and width of the foot. Um, and, you know, we, we always say to me, if we're talking about you know, footwear fitting, we always advise mm-hmm. people to go and try shoes on later in the day because in theory, the foot is a bit more swollen. You've been on it a bit more. It, it gets to its, I suppose, its maximum length and width and, and the maximum amount of swelling. Yes. But... Certainly, I've seen people who come in with shoes on which are, you know, one maybe even two sizes too small, who are convinced that they're wearing the right types, the right size of shoe because they were measured twenty or thirty mm-hmm. years ago. And well, I've always been a size five, six, seven, or eight. Whereas actually, there's been a change in their foot shape over time. Um, if we look at if mm. we look at collagen as a you know, as a as a component over the age of forty, which I am I am now. Um, you lose, I believe, 1% of collagen each year. So collagen being that, that kind of building block of, of, of muscles, ligaments, and tendons, which 
you want those long mm. pale parallel fibers being slightly elastic and, and to hold things in place. So there is an element that, yeah, the, the foot will change. I think if we're looking at mm-hmm. how much it can change over a period of time, we see people with, with I'm going back to flat feet now, but actually mm-hmm. very, very flat feet where they have a, a problem called a posterior tibial tendon problem, posterior tibial tendon dysfunction, where that foot becomes progressively flatter because too much load has gone through the posterior tibial tendon. It can't then hold on to that, that foot shape and that foot position anymore. And then you also end up with a problem with uh, the spring ligament sitting underneath the navicular. And maybe the plantar fascia can't hold onto things. And the long and short plantar ligaments on the bottom of the foot can't hold onto things. And you end up with this, this almost collapse of the foot. I've seen that in... I have a patient who has uh, who does a lot of... No, um, I can't remember. The, I can't remember the name. My kids did this one. I can't remember the name of it. Um, but she has some real problems with that, and I don't think it's caused by the martial arts. Right. But I don't think the martial arts have helped it. Right. Okay. So, so yeah, I think I think it's I think it's different. Again, it comes down to an individual, right. an individual kind of situation that that maybe there's been some kind of traumatic loading which has pushed that tissue outside of its. You know, it, it, it's range and it hasn't recovered okay. or it hasn't had a chance to recover. So it, I, it's entirely possible, yeah. but probably not a common thing. thing. So in people who are maybe prone to that in the first place. Yeah. It yeah, might I mean, we, be a we factor. Always, hmm, yeah. We, I mean, we always talk about, if we talk about bunions, bunions are, I mean, <laughs> people always talk about them being inherited and actually you don't inherit the bunions. What you inherit is, you know, to, to some genetic degree, the, the shape of the bones. Right. And then okay. It's what, what you do in the environment. So this if you if you have uh, my my mum has um has quite uh, quite significant bunions. So this is something she, she keeps asking me is uh, how are your feet? Um, <laughs> yeah. Have your right bunions so fallen? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see, that would um, be a really interesting thing because we, I know when we, mm. with bunions there was always a talk about you know heeled shoes and pointy mm. shoes would mm-hmm. would cause bunions and and yeah it, it certainly won't help having a shoe which point which pushes the big toe in from the side. Mm-hmm. But if the shape of your metatarsal head on your big toe is rounded, it's more likely to move than if it's square. If it's square, it's going to be a much more stable structure. Okay. But also, mm-hmm. we, we see quite a lot of people from populations that don't wear very supportive pointy footwear mm-hmm. that get bunions. So it's not just down to, yes. down to footwear. But I would wonder, actually, whether the, the stuff you've done with your, your, you know, your, your combat sports... Mm-hmm has given you a different level of, of foot strength because of what you've been doing. And maybe that, if you haven't got bunions, is actually maybe slightly preventative. And that'd be a really that'd be a really interesting thing to explore. Yeah. You haven't got a twin. You haven't <laughs> got a twin, have you, hasn't done I, what you've done? Because that that would be the way to look at it. <laughs> yeah, so there's, there's a PhD study there somewhere. Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In fact, there could be. I, I told my wife I was going to do my PhD a few years ago, and she told me I was going to get, I'd be divorced. So... <laughs> Oh, um, it's, uh, yeah, so the, um, that's, uh, I mean, this was something else I was going to, because we're, we're talking about sort of foot shapes and uh, and flat feet and things like that. Um, mm. Do you, um, do you find that, because there was a big thing a little while back, um, it's maybe sort of gone off the boil a little now, but where everyone's into this barefoot running thing. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, and 
I mean, what's your take on that generally? What's uh, tell me tell me what you think about uh, about barefoot running? Because I know a lot of people got very into this, and and it was it was the new big thing, not not very long ago. Yeah, it's interesting that, that yeah, barefoot running is a very interesting thing. And we a few years ago we were we were checking out the Google trends. Mm. And the Google searches on it, and there was a peak, mm-hmm. probably around about six, seven years ago, yes. where there was a sudden peak of everyone searching for for barefoot, yep. barefoot, you know, technique or barefoot shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, the trend now is towards maximalist shoes, so okay. things like the Hoka's, where and barefoot, yep. barefoot still sits yep. in the background, but they tend to be more towards Hoka's for ultra marathon running. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I'm sat here at the moment. I wear Hoka's because not because I'm a runner mm-hmm. by any means, but because I find them really, really mm-hmm. comfortable. But barefoot's an interesting one, and I think in the same way as if you come and see a podiatrist mm-hmm. and all they do is they give you an orthotic without giving you any kind of rehabilitation mm-hmm. strength, you know, flexibility programs, mm-hmm. if we say that, you know, barefoot running is the only way, we're, we're missing all of the other good stuff which mm-hmm. goes with it. And I think barefoot running is or can be, not, not for everyone, but can be a very good part of a well-rounded training program. But it has to be, especially if you're used to wearing shoes or trainers and running in shoes, yeah, mm-hmm. running in trainers, you have to transition across to barefoot very, very carefully because yes. the loads change. You, one of the biggest claims with barefoot running was it, it reduced something called FZ0. And FZ0 is that little peak you get on a, on a loading chart when the heel hits the ground. It's right. this peak of force, which then drops off as the foot goes from you know, heel strike to foot flat. Right. Mm-hmm. Quite commonly, it's about the idea that you're spreading load over a bigger area. And when they they assessed the loading of people who were barefoot running, Mm -hmm. they they found that FZ0 disappeared. Well, that's what they that's what they assumed, and actually it didn't. What all that happens is that you you move you move force and load to somewhere else. Right. And things which generally change. I mean, if if you if you look at a marathon by Mm -hmm. by about mile twenty five, everyone who's running a marathon is a heel striker even if they started off as a four-foot striker <laughs> or a mid-foot striker. Yes. And one of the key things about barefoot running is that people tend to be four-foot strikers because in a four-foot strike, you are using the knees, you're using the calf muscles to pre-tension for shock absorption, and you're using kind of the natural spring, I suppose, in the foot and the plantar fascia to to reduce that impact of the heel mm-hmm. because running barefoot on hard surfaces, that heel's going to hurt. It's really, really going to hurt you when yes. you do that. So what you do is you're just changing the loading pattern. <clears throat> and like I said before, you know, the biggest the biggest risk factor for a running injury is running, whether it's barefoot or whether it's or whether right. it's, you know, it, it's mm-hmm. in shoes. And I think we see different injuries. So we see a lot of metatarsal stress injuries, mm-hmm. whether it's a fracture or whether it's a reaction, whether it's an early kind of sign mm-hmm. of, a, of, a, of a fracture. We see a lot of Achilles problems because the, you're preloading the calf muscle first. Mm-hmm. We see a lot of perineal problems, so on the outside yes. of the leg, because because what you do is you have to stabilize the forefoot. Mm-hmm. We see a lot of problems with posterior tibial as well, because we're having to stabilize the foot instead. Right. Essentially, anything which passes behind the ankle joint mm-hmm. will be under more load. Yes. So it's it's different. It, it's you know it's horses for courses. Yes. What I think is interesting though is when we talk about barefoot running. Mm-hmm. And you have people like, you know, Vivo Barefoot or yeah. Vibram Five oh, Fingers. Yeah. They push their their stuff out there. Mm-hmm. It's not barefoot. Yes. It's the the only barefoot running is barefoot nothing running. on your feet yes. at all. Yeah. And 
I had a great chat with with the guys at Vibram at the running show recently, mm. and I, I, I like to I like to wind them up a little <laughs> bit because they they make claims mm. which which got them in hot water a few years ago yeah. with a with a class action yeah, lawsuit no, in America. That. They got sued for millions. Yeah. yeah, and and quite rightly so. They they were making claims about reducing injury with with barefoot yeah. or, or, or barefoot type running, <clears throat> and they got called out on that. But and, and a lot of the research as well. Yeah, the the barefoot running guys are. are seem very, very good at taking research, but only taking the research which supports their yeah, position, which is, is human nature. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think we all do. We all, we oh, all yeah. pick for our to biases. To some extent, yeah. And, mm-hmm. and there was, there's a great study, Vivo. I think Vivo's stuff's really interesting, yep. and their, their mm-hmm. shoes are really nice. Yes. But mm-hmm. they, had a, they had a study which they, they used for some of their marketing about two years ago. Mm. And it, the, if you read the abstract, it shows that um, – that, that barefoot running has half the injuries mm-hmm. of yeah. of of running of running in in, in trainers mm-hmm. so hill strike mm-hmm. running, but what they didn't do is they 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 didn't hide the data. So when we all delved into the data, we actually found that there were there were twice as many people in the trainer group oh, as there no. were in the barefoot running group. And actually, what happened was the the rate of injury was exactly so, the same across both parties. That's terrible. And, it, and it's and that, yeah. yeah, it is. Isn't it? But, but we, we we call them out yeah. all the time. Yeah. Um, we do call them out on all the time, and it, it is a yeah. marketing ploy. But going back to the original point, mm-hmm. you know, I I think the barefoot running mm-hmm. is is a, is a great thing to add to your repertoire if that's yeah. what you want mm-hmm. to do. The, the the benefits of being you know of being barefoot and running on different surfaces is great for that kind of neurological feedback. It's it's good in the mm-hmm. way that you exercise other muscles. You have to use other muscles to barefoot yeah. run. You have to run differently. Mm-hmm. It's, it's cross training, yeah. cross training for the feet. I think it's I think it's really got a place, mm-hmm. but I think we need to be careful that that we don't big it up to be something it isn't. Not yes, absolutely. And, and also, and also, this this comes back to is it the Born to Run book which came out a few oh, years yes. ago? Which yeah, which it's I'm sure it's a great book. Yeah, absolutely mm-hmm. amazing book. And it, and it talked about how we're meant to run naturally and we're meant to run barefoot. The problem is it was based on mm-hmm. one small tribe out in the middle of nowhere, which is that's what they've been doing for millennia. Um, and you, you can't really turn that around and, and put yeah. it for Joe Bloggs, who, who works in an insurance firm in the city and, and runs for recreation three times a week. It's, it's a very different place. Yes. But yeah, it's got a place. Yeah, but. Absolutely. I mean, I've, um, I made the switch to minimalist shoes a few years ago actually and uh, I mean I'll confess that the the new uh, Vibrams the ones they've come out with um not the five fingers but the um the new ones that have the wrap around I love those mm. um I just find them so comfortable um they look like cabbage so, <laughs> I just uh, like I said that they they really suit me um and for me that's the closest thing I found to being able to wander around barefoot but obviously without you know worrying about stepping on a bit of glass or something like that um so for me they're great but what I'll always say to people when they ask me about it is well you've got to find what's going to suit you and it's not it's not for everyone and if you are going to make the switch then you need to to do that gradually because I mean what I remember when I first started going out running and I'm not a runner by any means I I run occasionally um when I first started going out running in minimalist shoes um it absolutely fried my calves. Um, yes. I was, I was in, I was in bits. <laughs> um, but, and, and that was relatively short distances. Um, this, this wasn't, you know, half marathons or anything like that. Um, so 
I think, uh, I mean, that's that's the point I'll always make to people. But again, it comes down to the, you know, finding the thing that's going to suit that individual rather than, I think people like absolutist statements. Uh, so, oh, this is better than that. Or, you know, this is the 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 one thing you need to know, or this is the yeah. one answer. And oh, yeah. it's so rarely the case. Um <laughs> We're, we're all so, attra- we're all attracted to to an easy solution. Yes, um, we're all yeah. attracted to a cookbook recipe yeah. of, of of success, and that that goes far past just just what you know what you and I do. Yeah, um, and going back to the you know the the, the podiatrist with with orthoses that if they're mm. using a routine approach, it's a very cookbook approach, and it's a cookbook approach which makes sense. Yeah, and does you know probably the most part does get people better, but it doesn't really give you any opportunity to explore, you know, what's possible for the patient. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't give you any opportunity mm-hmm. to explore actually what they really want in all of this. And it, and it's, and it's, it's about changing, it's about changing your approach. And again, it's that subject specific or individualized treatment plan stuff. So yeah, but we, we like, we like easy stuff. Easy's good. You can yeah. just say, Oh, that's really easy. I'll do it. And it works. Then job done. And it's have a, to think too hard. You know, it's an, it's an easy thing to sell. It's an easy narrative. You know, you can get that message across um, rather than say, well, it depends. And I mean, the, the cliche is that the answer to most questions in, in, in my field of work is it depends. Um, Yes. <laughs> my, my favorite word when patients ask me things they say what do you think about this it depends, depends. yes <laughs> um but obviously that's much harder to communicate it and it takes it takes longer you, you, you can't you can't just stick that on an advert and, and push it out there um oh I, 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 you say that but i don't i i've used that on my some mm-hmm. of my videos and some of my marketing before um i, I changed mm-hmm. my i changed my marketing quite yep quite a lot from being this very sort of professional you know i'm a podiatrist with x number of qualifications and i can help you in these ways to actually Mm -hmm. almost like calling out some of the things we do and saying you know Mm -hmm. we do this but actually we we don't know why we do it we we don't know whether it it seems to work but we don't know why it works and Mm -hmm. you know and i'll 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 pose questions like you know a patient asked me about about what's the best thing for their heel pain well the answer is it depends and and i think sometimes that that kind of transparency and that honesty Yes, is what we need more of across the whole of healthcare. Absolutely, and I, and I think for, for a lot of people that that really appeals. I mean, I, I've certainly become very suspicious of anyone who sounds too sure of themselves. Um, yeah. it's uh, I'd, I'd I'd much rather talk to somebody who you know who who's, who appreciates the nuance and uh, and will admit when we actually we don't know the answer to this. You know, we don't have any good evidence. You know, there's a, a study out there waiting to be done. Um, so I think that's that's a really important thing. So I think so, some, yeah, some very good stuff around that. Absolutely. Mm. So sort of um, bringing us on to sort of wrapping all this up. Um, what would you advise for if we've got listeners here who are thinking I've got a bit of a problem with my foot, I've got some foot pain, or I'm I've, I've been to see somebody in the past. Now I'm not sure whether I got the right advice. What sorts of things would you look for in a good podiatrist or somebody to go and see about this? How would how would you know whether you're seeing somebody who's uh, um, how would you know if you're seeing the right person? I think I think one of the things I would look for probably is is very good word of mouth recommendation. Yeah, mm-hmm. that would be one of the first things I, I want to. I, you know, if somebody I know has been to see a, a podiatrist and they've done a really good mm-hmm. job and it's helped them, yep. mm-hmm. that's the first port of call. Um, also really interested to look at, at people who are very open and honest about 
the things they do well and also the things they don't do so well. So if if I can yeah. ring yeah if I can ring somebody up and I can have a conversation with them beforehand yeah. and they actually say you know mm-hmm. what you're probably not for me but you're more than welcome to come in and I'll have a look and we'll see what we can do. Mm-hmm. That that for me is a very powerful a very sort yeah. of powerful tick in you know tick in the right box. Yeah. I think as well it's it's making sure that there's people out there who who don't work in isolation and it's mm-hmm. not just in you know I, I would love to be part of a multidisciplinary team certainly mm-hmm. when I had my clinic that was a vision to have a multidisciplinary team because I think that's really mm-hmm. powerful in itself but people who are very willing to to work with other practitioners so physiotherapists yeah. osteopaths mm-hmm. chiropractors all of these kind of people locally and mm-hmm. be able to to show that mm-hmm. I also like people who have a very good social media presence so I want people who are you see them on their social media and that's who they are. It, it, mm-hmm. it really helps with that no like, and trust factor. And being able to see people putting information out there to help educate mm-hmm. people, that, that for me is a massive, massive plus. And maybe that's a bias on my part because that, that's, that's what I do. Yeah. But I think ultimately for me, it's, it's being able to contact that person, be able to speak to them directly and have a conversation beforehand, which for me is usually the bit which – which flips me over to, to, to go to see someone. Um, and there's a lot of people out there who don't do it. There's a lot of people out there who will actually put a wall up in front of them. And mm. I, know, yeah. I know people's time is important, yeah. but to be able to have a conversation with yeah. somebody and then make a decision about whether you're actually going to go and spend some money with them. And that other person actually saying, you know what, I'm, I'm quite happy to give you my time to talk to you. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Not obviously excessive amounts, but just yeah. you know, enough to see if we can find out, explore that problem a little bit more. And I've I've spent half an hour on the phone with potential customers before, and, and it's turned into it's turned into custom. I've, I've done it, and, and it hasn't. But yeah. that, that's just the way it goes. I think what's interesting in my answer is that not once have I mentioned qualifications. Mm. Um, I mean, my my qualifications go as high as a, a master's degree in biomechanics. Mm-hmm. But what I do know from having a master's degree in biomechanics is I now know just how much I don't know. Okay. Yes. And it's quite it's quite a humbling place to be is is knowing that there's so much more to, so much more to know. Yeah. Um, if people do ask me for my qualifications, they're there. If they if they want a long list of my experience, it, it, it's there, and I'll quite happily tell people. But it's not the bit I put up at the front of my I suppose my pitch to people. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I, that's probably what I would look for. Yes. No, I think that's that's fair, and I think um, it's the. The thing about being approachable and being being open to answering people's questions, I think that's really important for me as well. I always say, if you go and see somebody, make make sure that 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 you're you're comfortable asking questions, and that they'll they'll explain to you what they're doing. They'll you know if if you're not sure about something or if you're not happy with something, they'll give you a good explanation that you're you're comfortable with. Um, I think I think that's really important. I think if, I always say that any time if you feel uncomfortable asking, that's a red flag for me. Um, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, so, and, it, and it's being it's being comfortable with with not knowing something. Yes, um, and and being able to say to someone, look, actually, I don't actually, I don't have the answer for mm-hmm. that. I can, or I can only give you the answer in my experience, or if you, you know, or I can give, I can tell you what the research says. Yeah, um, it's it's being able to it's been able to hold that uncertainty in, in your kind of mind and that, and that conversation and feel comfortable with it. And I know there's a, yep. there's a lot of people out there who, who don't feel comfortable with that. Yes. I think that's, <clears throat> that's definitely, I mean, uh, that's, that's a whole topic for a separate podcast, I think. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think there's, absolutely. Uh, there, there is a lot of that about at the moment, I think. Um, 
And I think that that being uncomfortable with uncertainty manifests itself in a lot of different ways. But I think uh, it's uh, it's something that that's really important because I think until you're uncomfortable, un- until you can be comfortable with that, it's very hard to to be open and honest about what you're doing. And I think that's, as you say, that's for me one of the most important things. It's it's knowing it's knowing for me that that the things which I kind of hold true and hold dear and from my experience might all actually be wrong. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know, I, could, I could be wrong about absolutely everything, <clears throat> but it, it's, it's being, I'm okay with that. And, and I think for me, that, that means that, that means that the practitioner that I am today is very different to the practitioner yeah. that I was 10 years ago. Um, in fact, I'm probably the practitioner I am today is very different to the practitioner I was six months ago. Because there's always that thing in my mind going, well, actually, you know, that's what I hold true at that moment. But actually, it it, it will need to yeah. change. It will need to adapt and develop. So, yeah, I think I think it's I think being in healthcare is really really interesting. If you if you are happy to be comfortable with being uncomfortable, yes, absolutely, absolutely. I think that's probably a, a good place to wrap up. Um. <laughs> yeah, before before we go for another yes. hour talking about that. So. Yeah. No. <laughs> thanks a lot dave i really appreciate your time and uh, and your insight because again foot problems that it's something that that crops up for me once in a while and i know that there are a lot of people out there sort of in combat sports world martial arts world who who do have these questions so hopefully that's provided some insight um can people get in touch with you if they've got more questions um after listening to this um the best yeah, way to go about absolutely, that absolutely absolutely uh, there's, there's a number of ways i'm i'm quite active on on facebook um if you search for dave james the foot and leg magician um you'll find me on facebook it's a it's a bit of a cocky bit of a cocky name mm-hmm. i don't always perform magic but i try my best so yeah i've got a i've got a um a facebook page there people can come and find me if you're in if you're somebody in healthcare mm-hmm. i have a group as well which we work on on social media and marketing which is called stepping up and, and people are more more than welcome to come and have a look at that too i do the usual stuff uh, twitter dave the pod i'm on instagram foot and leg magician um and i've got a web page which is www.davethecoach.co.uk and I think that pretty much covers everything. So yeah, I'm, I'm I'm around and about on social media. Come and say hello. Always open to questions, and you know if I can help anyone, I will do my best to do so. Fantastic. And I can vouch for you being being very approachable. Excellent. Oh, that's good. That's good to know. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks a lot, Dave. And uh, hopefully we'll we'll catch up with you again, maybe for a, a, a future chat about some of the some of the loose ends from today's podcast oh look forward to it thanks for having me on it's really really appreciate it so there you have it hopefully you found that as interesting to listen to as we did to produce as ever if you've got any suggestions comments or feedback on what we can do differently or better do please let us know you can comment on our soundcloud page our facebook instagram and twitter feeds just search for combat sports clinic or you can create a profile at our website at www.combatsportsclinic.net and join in the discussion there. Now, speaking of the website, if you're a martial artist or combat sports athlete, you should check out our free video library. We're updating this all the time with new content about what to do to keep yourself fighting fit, as well as advice on managing those trivial and not-so-trivial injuries that we all pick up from time to time. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you on the next podcast.